you are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Coming up on Verse Course Verse, Sven, nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move, move their, their lips. lips. Just a bunch of gibberish. Because motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre. <laughs> Let's remind people next. Let's go. <laughs> Straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. From the gang called niggas with attitudes. When I'm called off, I got a sawed off. Squeeze the trigger and bodies are hauled off. You two play if you fuck with me. The police are gonna have to come and get me. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL with me is Sven, the chronic Knutson Sven. Long time no see. How are you doing, Woo-hoo. my man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm still on the mend. Yeah. They'll, they'll... So what the fuck happened? Uh, some road rash. Like I that was. So you just you just beefed it? There was a, a bend in the road. I was only going like thirty miles an hour, but a storm had washed down a bunch of sand all over the the turn in the road. And as soon as my tires hit the sand, it might as well have been ice. I just went sideways oh. and then slid and peeled all the skin off of my left shin and. Left ankle Shit. and most of my left arm <laughs> and then a couple spots on my hands. It's funny because like everyone's always like, oh, were you wearing a helmet? Were you wearing it? Well, yeah, I always wear a helmet, but my helmet is pristine. There's not a scratch <laughs> that's, that's on the not, damn helmet. That's not protecting your rest of the your body rest parts. Of everything else. So yeah, I, I learned a lot about that. Goosebumps suck because all the hair that tries, yeah, you know, like you get oh, the chills and yeah. all your hair tries to stand up. Well, when you've scraped all of your hair and skin off, <laughs> you still get goosebumps, but there's, yeah, it sucks. I know how to ride a bike. My uncle and my dad rode dirt bikes a lot. And then um, one of my uncles did competitive racing in Southern California, but I've never been a, like I've never owned a motorcycle. Yeah. And I feel like, how old are you now? Are you 39, 40? Yeah, 40. So I think you are officially past the age that you're allowed to ride anything two-wheel. No way. Especially when you have kids, you're like not allowed to do it anymore. What's funny is that last week maybe, so I'm like six weeks into recovery from this thing, and I was like, Amanda... I kind of want a bigger bike, <laughs> and I do, but I'm I'm and not. And now you're divorced. I'm not ready to go jump on it yet. But does your wife hate that you have a scooter? No, no. I'm really safe. I pick. I even pick the kids up from school on it sometimes. They love that. At least the older one, not the four year old. He's almost five. But oh, I loved it, man. Yeah, riding on the back of of a bike was so fun when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That was the best. Yeah. Scooters are a great way to, to, I got like 90 miles a gallon on that thing. It's true. Um, right now that's reason enough to have a scooter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to remember to wear shoes. Flip flops were a bad idea. And also um, wear pants, swim shorts. Oh, Sven. Do nothing. Oh, Sven. Well, we are doing you and I's third episode together this year. Yeah. We covered Tupac. We did. We covered Biggie. Did our best. I feel like if anybody that didn't listen to this podcast and you told them, okay, these two guys are trying to do at least a vague lineage of a specific genre and they did Tupac and then they did Biggie, mm-hmm. I feel like... Most people, the logical next step would be Dr. Dre. Definitely. 
I mean, like, how could you not? Because we we can't. I I'm not ready to talk about Puffy Combs. I mean, I kind of think that we covered him a ton in, in the, the Biggie. Biggie episode. Yeah, I agree. That's probably more than we need to talk about. Yeah, which speaks a lot to how sh- douchey of a producer he is, because you can't talk Biggie without talking yeah. P Diddy. Whereas Dr. Dre. Most of, I mean, we'll get into this later, but most of his artists, you know, you had, he had these great relationships, but when you think of a specific song from his artists, Dr. Dre's voice does not come in your head. No. And, and there's a few artists that I just prepping for tonight. I totally forgot that they were on his label that he produced that there's a, there's a couple that I'm sure we'll get to when we start going through his career that I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about her. Oh shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's how he got started. The amount of music that this motherfucker is responsible for. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And an entire subgenre <laughs> that, that wouldn't exist without him. Uh, did you have fun studying for this? Was it hard? Was it, uh, uh, were the, was there too much? It was a lot of fun. I think part of part of what I'm counting as research was that the Sven's Funhouse episode I did for YouTube where that challenge, trying to recreate two Dr. Dre beats from the 2001 yeah. album in less than an hour. It gave me a peek into his process. I don't know that I followed his process. Or I'm not sure that I did anything that he would do in the order he would do it. The two songs I ended up being able to do not full flushed out but like you could play it and be like oh yeah i know that song the i recognize beat, yeah so i did still and still forgot dre. about dre mm-hmm. yeah still dre and, and forgot about dre i'd pick something that i'd hear what did he use to create that now i picked 2001 because it i felt like that was the one where i wouldn't have to go and dig into a whole bunch of samples and try to yeah that's how he started but like trying to come up with like what synth is he using for that and how did he you know like that piano thing and got this plunky sound and how did he instill DRE that that everyone knows that piano you hear the bleep, bleep, it's bleep, plunky bleep. but at the same time it it's so reverby and full yeah and like how do you get that clank but it's also so fucking full yeah it's crazy it's like it's sloppy yeah. but it's also clean it felt like I got a little peek inside of his brain it was like just scary just the <laughs> trying to figure out how he did stuff there was just so many ideas flying around my own head about like how in the heck did and how did he think of this you know here i am i've got a yeah. cheat sheet i've got a cheat sheet i can listen to it and be like okay how would you make that sound he's just creating and then also i saw a few interviews of other producers who kind of idolized dre that was kind of yeah their inspiration yeah. there's one guy that was like the first time i got to play one of my beats for dr dre I almost cried. He hated every single one of them. But he was like cool about it. You know, maybe try, the, you know, like kind of coaching him a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, just the intimidation. Like if, if someone were to come up to you and be like, hey, you got any beats you want to play? Because Dre's next door in the studio. You want to come over and meet him? I'm like what? I, I, I don't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Chicken out. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, say what you want about almost any other hip-hop producer p diddy doing great things he did it to me sorry sorry (laughs) that was just you set that up (laughs) which that speaks to my point most of it pales in comparison to the amount in total that one man has contributed to a genre right it's remarkable. It's unreal. He was already creating history before he had a solo career. In his fucking room. In his room as a kid <laughs> making beats that would end up being 
the reason that we have Kendrick Lamar. Right. 40 years of hip hop. I don't even know where to... Dr. Dre, I'm not sure we have ever done an episode on one person that's more deserving right. than Dr. Dre. And honestly, there's so much like you. We could do a whole episode just on Dr. Dre and N.W.A. We could do a we whole have. episode just on <laughs> Dre's solo, yeah, or Dre's solo career. You can do a whole episode just talking about his entrepreneurship and the yep. businesses he owned. You could do a whole episode on, on the 700 artists, artists that he's, that he's responsible for. <laughs> just pick one of his paths, and it's already so great and already so impactful. But he's got so many things going on and that have gone on in his life. It's massive. This is a hard question. And the reason it's a hard question, I asked it for the Tupac episode. I asked it for the Biggie episode. The reason this is a hard question, though, is because, like we just said, Dr. Dre is not a rapper. Dr. Dre is, he is hip hop in every single form you could possibly imagine. So the hard question is, do you remember where your relationship with Dr. Dre started? When you realized that Dr. Dre was who he was, was it through production? Was it the chronic? Where, Mm. where was it that your relationship with Dr. Dre started? It would have been in 99. That's when 2001 dropped, right? 99 was 2001. Was it? That's 99. confusing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he wanted to call the album Chronic 2000, but Suge did one of those things that Suge does and puts out a piece of shit right before it with under the exact same damn album name so that Dre couldn't. And, Guy's a moron. Yeah. I, 2001. I mean, it wasn't that I'd never heard Dre yeah. music. I'd heard NWA, like NWA to me at that point. So I, this would have been, I was a junior maybe in high school. I was in high school. NWA to me was just, it was like the group. I didn't really pay attention to any of them as individuals. We were raised mostly, like, well, I was, you mostly were in Boise, Idaho. There wasn't a whole lot of NWA yeah. being played in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Not a whole lot. No. Yeah, I think we've talked about yeah, this on, on yeah. past episodes. Like the radio station wouldn't play rap. Like none of the radio stations. Our rap it. education started late and it was mostly self-influenced. Yes. Self-influence or like the mainstream that would get through like on MTV yes. or something. So you didn't hear any of the early stuff, any underground stuff. I knew about Dr. Dre. I knew about Ice Cube. I knew about by the time 99 rolled around, there was so much lore and story and backstory. But when that album dropped, when 2001 dropped, it was either still or probably was forgot about Dre. And I just remember being completely blown away by the entire album. Forgot about Dre. There was something about like the hi-hats in that. It wasn't just straight like... It had like this other rhythm, these little, I don't know. So it was probably was through production. The lyrics on that are dope, but I think that entire thing was written by Eminem. Probably. He was like the the sole songwriter on it and Dre just produced the shit out of it. And then from there, I, that also got me into wanting to make music with a computer. Nice. Up until then I'd been, you know, saxophone player, bass Mm -hmm. player. I'd been playing like organic analog, but this was the first time I was like, I got to figure out how to make like beats. I got to figure out how to like use a synth (laughs) gotta figure out how to use a drum machine so for me the big this is about as specific as it gets because i'm adhd whatever you want to call it i do remember the chronic and i was definitely like the chronic came out in 92 so i was definitely older i mean like we just said it it hit us up in the northwest a little later than it hit everybody else (laughs) i was into rap but it was 
radio-friendly rap. I hadn't heard of yeah. a lot of this stuff. But whenever I did hear... You got like... Like, I Wish by Skilo, which I did. That was later. I think that was like 95 or something like that. But <laughs> wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was Will a baller. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember when Slam by Onyx and like OPP... Uh-huh. By Naughty by Nature, when that started getting making you know its me. way to MTV, I was like, oh shit. I very specifically remember one of the first times I ever heard Let Me Ride. Oh, it's yeah. because there's one specific part in Let Me Ride. He says, rolling in my 6'4, and then you hear the organ do that. Yeah. What all the niggas saying? That was the first time that my head put together that that's something from an older song. They're taking something from an older song and they're making it new. That was the first time that my head was wrapped around what sampling was. Yeah. And that's when you can go in and realize that these guys are fucking music obsessors that would, you know, Dre was Mm -hmm. one of those dudes that would sit in his room with crates of vinyl, old fucking Mm seventies funk. What can I find here that I can turn into an amazing beat? That's probably... My favorite Dre song. We'll just, let's Let skip ride. to the end. <laughs> we, we haven't, haven't even, even gotten to what we're drinking. What we're drinking but I got the, the funny story about that is like <laughs> I discovered it, not on the chronic. I discovered that because of the Up and Smoke tour. I hadn't heard that song until Up and Smoke tour when oh. Dre comes out in this like prop dropped low riding 64 caddy with the hydraulics and like I remember the thing had a giant umbilical cord off the back and it was <laughs> kind of rock. like cuz it, it wasn't like a real car it was just on tracks but it would come out and it would jump and that was the song and the intro to that song was this this low rider pulling out. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. That's- and had the funkiest bass, <laughs> bass line. And that's like my bass sound check still to this day. <laughs> when I get called to play bass somewhere and it's time to sound check, I, I hit the bass line from Let Me Ride. So as you can see, yeah. <laughs> we are fans of Dr. Dre. Very, very big fans. And we are going to have bit. fun talking about him tonight. Like we said, we got we got a little off track, but hey, it's just because we're passionate about this shit. What are we drinking tonight? Sven, what do you got? What do I got? I got a... Well, I'm drinking... You know me. It's a beer. Um, beer? Beer. Huh? This is a pale ale called Johnny Utah, and it is from... Johnny Utah. Uh, Johnny Utah from Georgetown be from Brewing. Georgetown. Georgetown Brewing. Seattle. That's not a... You, right? When you hear Johnny Utah, you think Cali or Viacon Dios. That's what I should have said. Damn it, DL. So you got a pale ale. How is the pale ale? Is it good? It's refreshing. It's hoppy, but not like over the top bitter. It's a little citrusy. It's nice. I like it. Well, anytime that there's a connection with one certain man, I'm going to drink one certain drink. You got your Henny. I got Henny. I've got a glass. I'm not straight from the bottle tonight. Tonight, I'm dignified. I've also got a light beer of which I won't even say the name of because I feel like nowadays you can't even say what beer you're drinking without oh, getting God. in trouble. It's You're drinking that controversial I mean, aren't they all one, now? Huh? Because here's the thing. This is a very controversial beer, but if you drink the other one, then apparently you are on the side of not drinking that beer. Oh, now you're picking sides. Exactly. So giant domestic beer brewing conspiracies. It's let's just yep. stick with Hennessy. <laughs> I'm drinking Hennessy. Hennessy and a and a light beer. We've got a shit ton to go through. This guy has done a lot of stuff, man. We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back. 
selling narcotics. I have to finish my coffee. All right, we are back. I just drank my coffee. I'm ready to go. It's been a long kids first soccer tournament this weekend yeah i i'm fucking exhausted how'd she do they got fucking crushed dude crushed but hey man losing elicits wisdom right the trick is don't make a habit of it (laughs) the parents are the real heroes because you're driving 40 minutes out of town right when you get off work on friday and then of course you know on saturday the games are like 10 and then four and then way late. Yeah. So you're like, fuck it. Okay, what am I do? So yep. she got two soccer games today, and we went and saw the Little Mermaid. So I'm basically dad of the year. Dang. Yeah. Right? Heck yeah, dude. So I've got my coffee to wake up so I can talk with Sven about the motherfucking DRE, Andre Ramel Young. He is 58 years young as of this year, which I... Not crazy. It's insane to think that Dr. Dre's that old. It that also feels kind of young to me because it feels like he's been around yeah. for fucking ever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he has. Yeah, but yeah, in my brain, he's always like gonna be like a late twenties, early thirties guy. It, well, and he looks it. Oh yeah, he looks. He doesn't like he's, look as old. No, as... he looks like he's mid fucking thirties or something. But yeah, that speaks to one of the things that and I'm gonna get to this at the very beginning. And we talked about it in the uh, B.I.G. episode. But you know what I love in a producer that could be the face of everything? He's not the face of anything. Yeah, he's not. I love that. He's I love... Super in the background. And he likes it that way. There are certain producers that feel the need to make sure that everyone knows what they've done. And if their talent is in a song, they also need to be in the beginning of that song to let people know, look what I produced. Yeah, Dre is so much more of a forward thinker to me. Who he's producing, how he's producing it. And this is what I'm going to ask you because we did all encompass Tupac, Biggie, all that stuff. That is why Tupac's music is so much better than Biggie's. Are we intentionally dancing around the ditty? Say whatever Can we you just want. call him out? Yeah. I mean, okay, to me, what it comes down to, well, first of all, if your producer is in there doing the hype on every intro in every single video, it just gets annoying. Yes. The Notorious B.I.G. is just an amazingly talented lyricist. We talked about that, like how we much did. I love the way his flow. I think we both said that he was much better than Tupac. Oh, yeah. As far as flow. I think so. Yes. Flow and everything. But what ruins it is this annoying freaking... It, everything is just so it would just ruin every song as soon as you'd hear him you'd hear his voice and be like ah damn it i just why i just i just want to hear biggie rap for me it shows that dr dre mm-hmm. his passion is for the art his passion is for the music and also his passion is to pull other people up with him yes. he's not there to be like look at me all the time He's there to be like, you know, you want to do this? You want to make music? Okay, let's do it. Let's make music. And that's all he's going to care about is how can this person that he took under his wing make music and make the best music and what he can do to make them the best version of them that they can be. And you see that repeated every time he signs a new artist and takes takes on a new person. Yep. That's what he does. He figures out what it is that makes them cool and how he can like make that better and make them the best version of that. I think they're both great entrepreneurs. I think there are certain entrepreneurs like P Diddy that think that spouting off your resume at all times Mm -hmm. gets you more clout. Whereas Dr. Dre just kind of lets everyone else talk for him. It's hard to find anything where Dr. Dre is just is talking. It's hard to find 
I can't what magazine it was. Uh, They're interviewing Jimmy Iovine, and he. Oh. It was an article about Eminem getting signed. I skimmed past it, and I was like, "What?" And he's like, "You know, Dr. Dre says like six words all day. That's it. You get like six <laughs> words out of that guy, and that's a lot." <laughs> I can see that. Look at look at Dr. Dre's face. Pull up a picture of him. He doesn't need to open his mouth. You can just look at his eyes and you know he's these yeah. those wheels are turning. <laughs> and yep. then he speaks through the art, the music. So Andre Young grew up in Compton. I hope not too many people are surprised by that. And a pretty stereotypical life in Compton. Had a good family. He had we don't need to get too much into one very, very, very hard part of his life was he did have a brother that died mm-hmm. that he was extremely close with that was kind of like his, you know those stories, his dude. Dre was on tour, right, when he got killed? Yeah. If anyone's watched Straight Outta Compton, or if you haven't watched Straight Outta Compton, it's fairly accurate, I would say. Yeah, at that point in the movie, I remember it being like soul crushing. The first thing that Dr. Dre really was in at all was something in the mid to late 80s called the World Class Wrecking Crew. Yeah. It was a group of like five or six DJs. And they would just go around and do these parties and stuff like that. And they'd have these dances that were in sync with each other. And Dre was, what was he called? Something like the surgeon, right? Something like that. Because he would wear bright, flashy scrubs with a mask Mm. on and stuff. Like he'd hide his face. Yeah. I think that Dr. Dre's vision was way more advanced than everybody else in the crew. Yeah. Because everybody just wanted to do this forever. Like, let's just DJ parties. Because you got to remember mid 80s, late 80s, that was hip hop. Yeah. You fucking turn the turntables on and you sampled the beats and bam, that was it. You were a god. Yeah. But Dre was a lot more forward thinking. And I think that's what got him into doing NWA with... He was like a master on the turntables. I think he had to have his arm twisted a little bit. Well, the World Class Wrecking Crew was successful. Yeah. So like he was making money. Yeah. Their album, their 85 album, Surgery, it sold like 50,000 copies just in Compton. God. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, right? Like, that's like, that's, that's fucking that's awesome. Everybody in every house in Compton <laughs> yeah. owned a copy. That's fantastic. You're already the king of your neighborhood at that point. Yeah subject matter and things like that like flipping to the whole gangster thing it was probably a huge risk i don't know if he realized how big of a risk it was i'm sure some of that went through his head when you hear people describing him as a child and things like that he didn't really have the personality for being an nwa type of guy yeah for being a guy that was going to start fucking fuck the police yeah I don't remember. I should have watched straight out of compton before i and i've seen it before but i should have watched it like this week You always have to remember how fucking unbelievably ballsy Mm -hmm. it was to be NWA. That wasn't a fucking thing. No. You can't do that. As a young black dude in Compton, you are going to get fucking killed by the cops. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's the other, and I'm not saying anything bad about cops, but you got to remember, this is the fucking LAPD in the, in 80s. the fucking late eighties. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the, one of the dirtiest fucking, this was organized crime with Impunity. all of the government on their side. Yeah. Probably the most powerful organized crime in America, at least. And NWA wrote a song called fuck the police. Yeah. And was constantly telling those stories and, you think about like Ice Cube, when he met Dre and started writing what he was, 
I think in the movie they call it reality rap. It wasn't gangster rap. It was reality raps because he was like, I'm just rapping about what's really happening That's when I they were look living. outside yeah. my front door. He was in high school. That came out of a high schooler. When you do grow up in a place like Compton, there's got to be a little bit of what are you scared of at that point? At that point, you've oh. grown up. And like, with, like bullets flying through your fucking windows as a child. Like this shit, what's the worst that can happen to me? If you wanted to do music and that was your passion, like what are you going to go do disco? Everybody on your block yeah. is going to make fun of you <laughs> could, at that what time. What are you going to start a garage band? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that was the thing. It was like everybody hated. I haven't even, that's a great point. I haven't thought of it that way. Yeah. Everyone hated disco on the block. You're not going to go do that. You're not going to do dance music if you're a DJ. Start like, a punk band. So it's yeah. like, okay, that was Compton's version of punk, right? It was like, how can we stick it to the that's authority? That's the best take. That might be the best take we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> this the the fucking punk music of Compton. Mm-hmm. I know at the time you had like the Reagan administration coming on telling everybody how bad rap music was and they tried to ban it from schools and ban it from TV yep. and radios and all. Everyone was talking about how they felt it glorified the violence and glorified gang activity. And really, if you listen to it, but put yourself in the perspective of teenager, it wasn't so much glorifying it as just what you witness. And sometimes you tell the story, as story writers do, from the villain's perspective. Tupac was the best at this. Oh, Tupac yeah. was so good at showing the perspective of all these fucking people, all of these Reagans, and eventually it would turn into, you know, whoever, fucking Tipper Gore or... yeah. Cheney or who, whoever was involved with the, you know, with the parental advisory stickers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was their people that put us here in these neighborhoods where we all just have to fight over crack and shit like that. Yeah. They are not allowed to be mad at us for figuring out how to get out of here mm-hmm. or figuring out how to succeed in spite of them. And now these same people are saying, well, what you're doing to survive is wrong. It's offensive. (laughs) (laughs) What you're doing to survive is offending us, so you need to stop. We can't get into all the NWO. We did an episode already on NWA, and I actually think we did a pretty good job. I I think we did an even better job when we were talking about Tupac in the sense that, you know, there was the same awareness going on on the East Coast as well. Mm -hmm. These groups that were just brilliant, De La Soul and people like that. I mean, Ice-T, is that... Oh, Ice T. There's, I mean, he's he's East Coast. Ice T is perfect. I don't know. Ice he was born in New killer. Jersey. Ice T came out with Cop Killer. I think that predated NWA, yeah. or at least that was the first parental advisory sticker. Ice T. Yes. Yeah. I got distracted by the irony that then Ice T ended up playing a playing cop a cop on, on, on NYPD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that it's catchy. When white kids around the country start scaring the shit out of their parents because they're all playing it and, yes. and singing along and rapping Wait, along. Yes. Like, Wait, that, what that are you I listening to? That's when the stickers started going on, the, the explicit lyric, parental advisor. It's, it was because of all the suburban moms getting yes. worked up by the white teenagers are doing this stuff. There is a yeah. line in an Eminem song, and I'm, I'm blanking on what song it is right now. 
but it's one of the most brilliant hip hop lines I've ever heard. And it's hip hop was never a problem in Harlem, only in Boston. White America. It's white that America song. from the Eminem show. Surely hip hop was never a problem in Harlem, only in Boston after it bothered the fathers of daughters starting to blossom. That's fucking brilliant. That's so that brilliant. Way to pull that one. That was good. <laughs> What? Uh, who produced that album, by the way? Hmm. Hmm. It's relevant. <laughs> anyway. He's always been the producer. He's always been the one that like it, that made Cube's lyrics into a song. Exactly. Ice Cube wrote poetry, but without Dre, it wouldn't be something you dance to. It wouldn't be something you listen to. It, yeah. I don't think he ever wrote his own verses. I think Ice Cube was... No, he, he always hired writers. Yeah. He had zero faith in his He's writing He's not a ability. rapper. He's just a good at the whole genre yeah. and making everyone else's words come to life. They're doing NWA. They're changing the world. And then, of course, once again, we won't harp on it too much. Ice Cube leaves because the money is bullshit. Easy and the manager... I forget what the manager's name is that's working with... Jerry. Jerry. Well, is fucking them over. So Ice Cube yeah. leaves, and then eventually Dr. Dre says, oh, okay, well, if Cube's leaving, it probably is bullshit. I'm going to leave too. And Dre takes off as well. And now we're getting into more of the years of death row. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Which... I mean, as if the NWA story wasn't dark enough, like yeah. it had its dark Enter moments. Enter Suge Knight. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Suge Knight gets deservedly a lot of the shit. If you research the first year or two of Death Row Records, Suge Knight isn't the only one having these, I mean, literal gangster parties. Like, they're rapping about yeah. gangster parties. This is literal. They have gangsters, they have bloods mm -hmm. that are in the studio partying. Mm -hmm. While they're producing and Dre isn't some fucking innocent little, oh my, I really wish this wasn't happening. No, Dre's fucking partying. There's chicks, yeah. there's drugs, there's booze. He's having the time of his life. He's fucking making money. He starts Death Row Records with Suge Knight in 91. The Chronic comes out in 92. Mm -hmm. That's fucking it. I mean, at that point in time, Dre's the biggest name in hip hop, right? Yeah. This is when shit is just too insane. And I think if there was ever a time that you can point out in Dre's life where he let the fame or fortune or whatever you want to say get the upper hand, it's now. I, yeah. Because this is when things that happen, like you know, he gets he gets shot in the fucking studio. Well, he got shot in the I'm going to drag Suge Knight back into the dirt here. Legitimate <laughs> criminal mastermind, master intimidator. The guy's a yeah. man mountain. Not afraid yes, to, he is, to yes. use his size to intimidate the shit out of throw people. Throw his weight around. Literally throw his mm -hmm. weight around. His morals are in the like sewer already. He like, almost has none. There's no remorse, yeah. no thought, no nothing. I think he masterfully and purposefully created this environment of, on the surface, it's party and fun and drugs and, you know, women. But underneath all of that, it was a culture of fear. You step out of line and Suge finds out you're going to get your head smashed in. You either worry about that or go get drunk and smoke some weed and go party. Do you think that Dr. Dre would have done the easy diss track if it wasn't for... Mm. I mean, they fucking called their production company Death Row Records. Yeah. Like, I feel like Suge saw a way to capitalize on that breakup yes and it was his way That's of nice. kind of 
A saying like Dre's mine, Dre's death rose, and and anyone mm-hmm. that wants to say anything about that, we're coming for you. Kind of, I don't. It was it's his yes. classic like intimidation thing. So it's like yeah, let's do a diss track. There's a lot about the things that were produced and records that came out of Death Row that they were making some hits too. But like, yeah, but how much of it was into a very specific direction? Because it started to lose a lot of like the social consciousness. And really, that's when it really started, I'd say, like glorifying gang violence. From 92 to 95, you have The Chronic, which is a brilliant album. It's much more, we'll put it in these two relations. It's much more Biggie than it is Tupac. Mm-hmm. 92 is also, is it 92 or 93? It doesn't matter. Is also when Dre finds Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Warren G, who is Dr. Dre's <laughs> cousin, which I did not know that. I thought he was stepbrother. I thought his, I thought or Dre's... stepbrother. Sorry. Yes. Stepbrother. Yeah. But I mean, we've all heard Snoop Dogg and we all love Snoop Dogg, but that is not conscious rap. That is, I'm That's what a drug dealer freestyles yes. when he's waiting for his next drop. Or, yes. You know. That is, a, that is a dude that has just smoked a bowl that is laying on the couch and life is good. That is every single rap that Snoop Dogg has ever done. But with the exception of maybe like murder is the case that they gave me. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much every rap that Snoop Dogg has ever done. Not knocking it. There are very few personalities that have shined through rap wise more than a character like Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I'm going to ask this because I... I know we're not doing a Snoop Dogg episode. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's not... Yeah. Do you have a favorite Snoop Dogg song? So, actually, the one that really grabbed me and was like, oh, this guy's can actually be real is Murder is the Case That They Gave Me. Okay. Which, on the chronic, Little Ghetto Boy. Okay. If you listen to Snoop's verse, it's basically kind of the birth of Murder is the Case That They Gave Mm. Me. Snoop Dogg is also very, I mean, how do you not like all this stuff off Doggy Style? Yeah. He's a prominent character in the story of Dr. Dre. Like, <laughs> fuck yeah. They're, they're homeboys now. Now that he owns Death Row, you kind of, yeah. I mean, he's, but I've never taken him seriously as a rapper. I don't, I think that's the point. The What's My Name song, That I think that's about, that's, is it for me. That's about as seriously as I can take him. I, I guess murder, hey, I totally forgot about murder was the case that they gave me, but. No, but that, it's not like murder is the case. If you ask a hundred Snoop Dogg fans what their favorite song is, murder is the case that they gave me is going to be number fucking 50 on all of their lists. Yeah. That's not a prominent Snoop Dogg song. But I guess what I'm getting at is like, Dre made him a star. I'm so glad that you're saying this because I completely agree because Snoop Dogg is not a, he's an aura. The feeling that everybody wants Mm -hmm. when they are listening to music and getting high and just chilling. Yeah. That's Snoop Dogg. When someone says G-Funk, the two voices that pop into my head, one of them is Snoop Dogg, the other one is Warren G. Yeah. 50% of the voice of G-Funk. That, that's like the voice yeah. that I hear when I think, if someone's like, think of it, uh, you know, that style of music. That is the power of Dr. Dre to me. He's all about making whoever he's working with the star and making them the best version of them and making them like the thing that's just so awesome. And Dre is just so good at that i'm just gonna be a broken yeah. record keep bringing up it's so true because in and i'm and you're bringing up g-funk so we'll go to that now but 
I agree, and I would, I'll just go with you on that, that the two best examples of pop G-funk is Regulators by Warren G yeah. and Gin and Juice. Yeah. Those are the two songs that everybody in the fucking world knows. They know that as Snoop Dogg and Warren G, but that's fucking Dr. Dre, man. What's kind of funny is when you hear other producers try to copy the style mm-hmm. and it just sounds so cheesy... They can use all the same instruments. They can use all the same. It just sounds so cheesy. They can't put a beat together the way Dre can. It's just magic. Completely. I think Snoop Dogg would be considered the first real big Dr. Dre found this guy. The first. It's because <laughs> they like there's, the a, first. there's a pretty big name out there. It's like maybe possibly the that's biggest. That's insane. Is you say this guy found Snoop Dogg? Well, that's obviously the biggest name that he found. No, actually, there's like no. four more. <laughs> it's fucking it insane, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get to the signee of Death Row Records in '95, which is fucking Tupac. Yeah. And the song that really, really set everything off is California Love. With that Roger Troutman sample that the only reason anyone knows what a vocoder is. <laughs> I probably still don't know that it's a vocoder. That might be like the antithesis of West Coast hip hop is California Love. And what amazes me is how effortless that had to be for Dre to produce. That sample was the song. If you've ever re- listened to the Zapp and Roger original California Love, even the rap is close. Yeah. The rhyme scheme is fairly close. Pac is Pac. He added, oh, yeah, that just took it to a whole nother level. But like Dre, if you listen to it, like musically, there's a lot of the same stuff going on, but it's it pops so much more and it hits so much harder way dre can do that i know it's yeah he's layering stuff on top of something and then more layers on top of that but it's the fact that he can find the right yeah thing on somebody's record that was the first time they topped like a mainstream chart right that that really is the song that just solidified that west coast was going to be bigger than east coast that was the song that was pumping 800 times a night in fucking clubs for fucking five years. You know, Tupac and Dre, Dre produced a bunch of stuff for Tupac. Tupac was always kind of a, a fucking lone wolf. Like he was going to go every, anywhere and do any. He was fucking insane. Yeah. So it wasn't a Snoop Dogg thing, but they made some really, really great shit together. The only problem was, you know, Dr- Tupac was insane. And at this point in time, Dre was one of the people that was aware of how bad this was getting and how much money they were they could make in the future if all this fucking east coast versus west coast shit would just calm down i think Dre too was just sick of suge's shit and how and the corruption i think he needed to have some no drama time right exactly and dre he's not a bullshitter so he ducks out he ducks out i think in 96 like right after they signed tupac he leaves to start aftermath and aftermath is his own thing which he should have fucking had in the first place like i get it i get that suge knight had the money and all that but still we all know what happens there and i don't like we can 
you know, say what we want about the beginning of it and, you know, what happened from 96 to 97 and... Pretty much killed Death Row after... Yeah. I mean, when Dre left and started Aftermath, Death Row died. Because yeah. who the fuck else is going to produce for him? And then Suge <laughs> went to court. Yeah. <laughs> and Q98, Dr. Dre is given a demo, absolutely loves what he hears, and then finds out the guy is white and is uh, very, very perplexed, <laughs> which in retrospect, he has said, like, I don't know how the fuck I didn't think this guy was white. Like, listen to his fucking voice. I think at that time, it was like how the anybody that's rapping this well is not a white person. Uh, 98 is when Dre hears Eminem for the first time. And now, of course, we have the largest signing of oh man aftermath <laughs> and probably the biggest would it be the biggest hip-hop duo of all time i would say so i don't know i've heard a lot of different versions of how the original cd got to dre to, into dre's hands earlier i was talking about the article i read about you know jimmy Iovine, and in that version someone passed it to jimmy saying hey you gotta hear this guy this white guy that raps yeah and, you know and, Jimmy loved it, decided, okay, I trust you that this is going to be good. I'll, I'll go play it for Dre, and, and uh, you got to listen. You got to take this with you. Take the CD. Go listen to it. And that was where he was like, yeah, Dre taught. He says like six words a day. Yeah. He called me as soon as he got home, and he was like, find this kid. Have him out here on Monday. <laughs> Every story kind of ends that way. Bring me <laughs> Marshall <Yeah>. Mathers. <laughs> I bet, like, once the shock wore off of, like, this is a white kid rapping, Dre was like, this is a white kid rapping. Yes. Chick ching. This is going to be huge. <laughs> yes. Look at those baby blue eyes. Like, yes. <laughs> now all the white folks can't bitch about the black yep. music because it's going to be a, a white, white guy dude. rapping. The rest is history. He comes out with The Chronic 2001 in 99. Eminem comes out with Slim Shady. And that right there just... Like li listening to that al album and Eminem's parts on that album yeah. and the writing that Eminem did for that. Yeah. Like, I think that's why I got hooked so hard back when it was NWA, it was Dre and Cube and Cube had like this oh, fire Cube. for his lyrics. I love Cube. And now it's like getting the, you got to watch that happen all over again. Yep. Like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. Right before the millennia flips into the new, you know. Here you have Eminem, like this crazy on-fire lyricist that then Dre's just going nuts with. In the same year, you had the Chronic Part 2 or two, whatever you want to call it. You had the Marshall Mathers LP come out. Marshall Mathers mm -hmm. LP is this, nobody's ever heard anything like this. Fucking Hi My Name is on it and, you know, fucking Bonnie and Clyde and all that shit. And you've got the old school fucking perfected 2001, which Dre had been working yeah. on for six years or something Ever. like that. Like yeah. A, just a ridiculous amount of time. I almost jumped to the end again when you started talking 2001. I almost... We're at 99. Yeah. We're going to move on now. <laughs> so you can spill the beans now. That is about as damn near a perfect album rating that you're ever going to get out of me, probably. 2001? 2001. Really? Especially for hip hop. I usually even hate interludes, but I rarely skip the interludes and the little skits on that album. I usually hate those, you know, where it's just like, yeah, this is bullshit. Just get to the music. Like I was talking about earlier with like Still, yeah. how like that sloppy piano it was like intentionally sloppy, but still so crisp and clean yeah. and perfect. He knew how to spread a mix. He knew how to put stuff down in the low end that needed to be in the low end and EQ it that way. And he knew how to cut things out so that it wouldn't muddy up the low 
when yeah. and things that needed to be up in the high to give you that sizzle and the you know the sparkle and the crispness and sibilance he dre by this point was not just a dj not just a producer i'd say he's an audio engineer at this point mm. it's not just flipping samples anymore he's creating original sounds that you start hearing other people start to use the trap hi-hat that you hear on every trap song now like that tone and the way that it clicks in and it's if dre wouldn't have done 2001 we wouldn't have had that same influence on modern hip-hop you still hear it it just keeps going and going and going i i want to talk more about this we will get more into the chronic both of them later both of them I want to end the kind of just the chronological career choices of Dre with... Do we get to talk about being like a CEO of an electronics company? That's where I'm going. Is that what you're going? I'm going is to that where you were going? What really made him a billionaire is <laughs> yeah. he gets an iPhone and it's amazing, but it comes with these shitty dollar fucking headphones and he's like, wait a minute, I can make a snazzy, like they don't even have to be incredibly high quality sound. I'll just add a shit ton of bass so people will think that they are incredibly high quality sound. Put some fancy fucking marketing on it. Make them beautiful. You could sell yeah. those for fucking 200 bucks a pop. Yeah. And I mean, they really weren't like the best headphones, but... Not at all. They're like... The, the, I the, wanted some hardcore. Exactly. I think I still own some beats. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I'm listening to something that I want, because that was all he did. That was all he did is he just added a shit ton of bass. He's like, if when you're yeah. listening to headphones and you hear a shit ton of added in bass, you think these are amazing. They're not. These are great. It's just a lot of bass. This is great. I read two things about the Dre Beats headphones that I don't know if it's true. Dr. Dre intentionally, he's like, I don't care that it's not flat, that it's not the true sound. Uh -huh. he, you know, like you just said, he, he added a bunch of bass. Yeah. He wanted it to sound like you were in a club. And if you go to a dance club, it's, it's just all music sounds like shit because it's all bass. Yeah, you just want your teeth but to vibrate. the other thing is, I, I read that the song that he picked to like decide whether the engineers had the headphones dialed in right was 50 cents in the club and that was the song that he based those headphones on oh that's amazing there's gonna be some tie-ins with that hey if you still have a pair go throw that song on because i bet that it sounds <laughs> I bet it's amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's beats by dre that was dr dre's idea which is an absolutely brilliant idea genius it's the same concept as nike or adidas like people don't buy them because they're good fucking shoes they buy them because of the fucking logo, logo. It makes consumers look good. And whoever they can get to wear them. Exactly. There's Serena Williams, LeBron James, all these people are in the ads wearing yeah. these amazing, beautiful looking headphones. And all of a sudden you have people like fucking jogging in big ass fucking headphones, <laughs> which makes zero sense right. whatsoever. Right. But because they saw fucking Kevin Durant do it in a commercial, like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. He ended up selling it back. What did he sell? Like three or four billion was, dollars to apple it pretty much created itunes he became an apple employee oh yeah 3.4 billion dollars 3.4 billion Fuck. with a b and then they hired him as an executive to work for apple hopefully that helps you understand how much he's done for one specific genre yeah dare i say more than anybody else has ever done for any other genre I have some questions to ask Sven. I have some questions to ask myself. Oh, one thing I want to touch on before you get to questions. 
I was unaware of his philanthropic generosity. 70 million that he and Jimmy Iovine donated to University of Southern California for the Academy of the Arts. But what I think is even cooler is that he went back to Compton and he's committed 10 million to build a performing arts center for the Compton High School. Uh, 100 million. Was it 100 million? 100 million. It's like a thousand seat theater or something. And it it should be, I think it's got to be close to done by now because I think they broke ground in 2020. Well, he donated it like a year ago because I remember that. 100 million dollars to Compton High School. That's insane. What that does for that. Basically (laughs) to create a 2000 student art program. In addition to that, Dr. Dre donated an additional 70 million to the University of Southern California to help build another new academy. Yeah. So 170 million, 70 yeah. to USC, 100 to Compton High School. Okay, I love that he gave the high school more right? than the university. Uh, let's take a break and then let's go through some specific questions here. Sven, I'm going to ask you some stuff when we're back. Right. I'm expressing with my full capabilities And now I'm living in correctional facilities Cause some don't agree with how I do this I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary But my technique is very necessary Blame it on Ice Cube because We are back, Sven That's me I was going to ask you a question here tonight mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be Now I very, very much know what the answer is <laughs> I was going to ask you which chronic is your favorite chronic? <laughs> but now that I know that the 2001 is yeah. like, maybe it is 2000. So is 2001 your favorite hip hop album of all time? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. So I don't know why I had, I like started to hesitate, but yeah, like for an entire because album. Because that's a big question. It is a very big question, but I don't even skip the skits, the interludes. So as far as like a start to finish entire composed album that to me is the one and is it is it purely production is there anything content wise like production is probably the predominant influence i can listen to that guy rap the freaking phone book and be happy oh yeah the corrupt nate dog exhibit eminem all the people on that amazing you know amazing snoop dog yeah you remember in high school when a whole bunch of students from our high school got on like six buses or something and drove down to Disneyland and did a bunch of music down there. Yeah. I was, you know what album I listened to round trip (laughs) the entire journey from Boise, Idaho to Anaheim, California funny and back. I think I might have some pictures of us from that trip. That's fucking funny. I was I remember you did it. <laughs> I remember I got suspended on that trip too. Did you go out with? <laughs> you did. Um, I remember that. And then they tried to get me to go. And I was like, no, you know who rad you guys out too. I'm editing all this out, but it was fucking. <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise me. And I'm I remember not that so well. Yeah. Hey, those were the days though. Good man. times. There's a time to do it. That was the time to do it. 17. No consequences. Yeah. I look the original chronic for me. I love the chronic 2001. I love it. But there's something mm-hmm. about the original that just epitomizes a time for me. That West Coast feel when you're picturing the guys in Compton. Like Let Me Ride is the antithesis of West Coast hip hop to me. Even the cover, the golden Dr. Dre with like the tassels the and that, yeah. I, there's something about that album that is it's like more human than human kind of thing. It's, mm. 
I feel like your answer is better than mine, though I'm not changing my answer. Because your answer is better because you've never been like that. You've never been a provocateur. You've never been a this is the best of something. You're <laughs> not like on that. something. So that's how you know that I'm not. That means that much to you because you're never like that. You know what's funny and kind of sad? Since 2001 was the first of the two that I ever heard. Um, oh. After like just completely consuming the hell out of that album, I was like, wait, there was a chronic before. like before this. I remember feeling so crushed that I didn't like it as much because I was like, oh, like it's good. But it's kind of like, you know, like when you listen to like a Beatles record and you're like, God, what if they recorded that now? <laughs> Imagine how much awesomer this could sound. It would be like hi-fi. You could hear the clear. You could hear how all the- you. It's that. I'm like, oh. They're such different albums. They are. I want you to put your producer hat on. Sven, as a producer, what is it about Dr. Dre- that makes his sound so unique. What is it that he does in production that other people just haven't figured out or didn't do? Okay, I got a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is if other producers knew that, then they would all be doing it. The long answer, I think it's complicated because his style of production has changed it's evolved and maybe that's it we talked about earlier when he was like world-class wrecking crew and it was like they could have just done that forever but he was always wanting to evolve he wanted to get to the next thing like always looking ahead they would have been dead in the water in two years and he saw that but sonically that's what he does the next record he works on the next artist he works with He's going to evolve it. He's going to build. He might even scrap whatever he's doing and reinvent the wheel. Like that's to me the beauty of Dr. Dre is he's not afraid to do that. He's not afraid to just like, you never heard him do like weird cartoony shit until Eminem. And then like how many of Eminem's beats that's are like, I mean, great like totally like this does not sound like G-Funk. This does not sound like West Coast hip hop. This is like white rapper on speed. And he finds like the magic that they have that only they can do. And he makes that like the feature and figures out how to build his beat around that build. I heard like when he signed Eminem, it was like two hours later, they're already in the studio making like the real Slim Shady. You're too good at this. That makes me mad. That's such a good answer. Let's go to something else that I want to ask you too. Studying for this, I will admit that there is a third Dr. Dre album that I had not heard until a few weeks ago when I started mm. actually study studying Dr. Dre. Have you ever listened to the album Compton 2015. by Dr. Dre? I don't think so. I think I have heard... I can't even remember. There was a song that has Kendrick Lamar on it that I heard. Genocide. That might be it. It's not one that I've listened to recently, and I don't think I've heard... More than just that one song, maybe. I listened to Compton a couple times over the last couple weeks. It's fucking awesome. I don't know if it's just because it's not... Like, The Chronic is The Chronic. The Chronic just has a... I've used this word too many times in this episode. I feel like a freak. But The Chronic has this aura about it. Mm -hmm. Compton just seems like an album that fucking Dre came out with. Uh, but it's so different. I would give it a shot. Because there's some super unique shit. Nice. on it go check it out uh it's not chronic but it's worth a listen we've talked about the original chronic album art what are your thoughts on the 2001 album art love yeah whatever it's not 
amazing and it's not it's just yeah you know what i have a problem with and i don't know why i have a problem with using the pot leaf as art ah and that's anywhere well you know why he did that i have no idea he had to he couldn't call it the chronic that's why he had to change the name so many times he couldn't put chronic on there so he had to use the pot leaf and then just 2001 i know he was calling it chronic because that's his vision of the album is he wants something that somebody can get addicted to yeah it's a chronic yeah but I didn't know. I didn't know that. No, Suge went and copyrighted Chronic. He couldn't do it. So he had to use a pot leaf and then just put 2001. And he tried to make it 2000, but Suge put out an album called Chronic yeah. 2000 too. The music's good. I'm just going to slap a pot leaf on there and say, I love it. Fuck you, Suge. I got a question for you here. I'm liking these. If you conceptualize, if you think about the projects that Dre is directly or non-directly responsible for, Mm -hmm. it's like hundreds of albums. Yeah. So do you have favorites? Like I will give an example. You brought up one that I I wanted to talk about later on. One member of Aftermath is 50 Cent. Mm -hmm. Get Rich or Die Trying is one of the best fucking rap albums of all time no question yeah dr dre is the number one producer on that album he's also an an executive on the album but that album is kind of fucking perfect so we already talked about like my favorite album the next thing i would say is like as far as i do have a favorite out of all the people that he's signed and that he's discovered who is it eminem yeah for me it's eminem like that was so massive and I know we've already kind of talked that quite a bit. Anything they do, I feel is just massive. I he's got so many. I'm just like looking at the list I just quickly wrote before this. It's like Kendrick Lamar, the game. The game I wasn't really that. I don't. I'm not a game guy. Mary J. Blige, I totally forgot about. I totally forgot yeah. that that was Dre artist Eve. Yep. There's gonna be Eminem episodes, right? I hope so. Cause I don't want to give away what my favorite. I'll say this: Dr. Dre and Eminem are responsible for what I think is. One of the most popular albums of all time, and yet still kind of criminally underrated. Ooh. So that's, I guess I'll just say that. Like, I want to know what this is. It's, well, I'll tell you. It's. I was was about to guess that. Okay. Dr. Dre was responsible for doggy style. Even if you don't count Kendrick Lamar, because Dr. Dre says, I had nothing to do with that guy's all him. But there still would be no Kendrick Lamar without Dr. Dre. Yeah. The influence that Dre provided. The scope of his influence goes far beyond artists that he has worked with and signed. There's people that got into music because of dr dre that's the legacy dre leaves behind is like one of the most he doesn't even have to meet someone to impact their lives sven do you have a couple favorite a top five do you have a favorite dr dre song i got a lot of ties i got a lot that are like all on the same that's kind of where i am too you know what do you do? not say like fuck the police oh shit you're talking like i was just thinking his solo stuff like yeah if you're talking no, the, the entire do you not say like yeah. straight out of compton or california love can't, or like can't pick one i agree they're all unique enough that there's like good reasons to like all of them individually and not be able to be like well i like this one because i like that one very much agree i got one more question for you feel like i know the answer which I did not know before this episode. How do you rate him? I mean, it's kind of a softball 
question, but I'm still going to ask it. If you're rating Dr. Dre, do you rate him as a rapper, as a producer, as both? How do you rate him? I think I would have separate ratings for each of those. Because as a rapper, he's he's not really a... I don't think he's a good rapper. Doesn't even write his own shit. As a producer, obviously, I, I'm going to rate him. He's in my top 10. If it's just hip-hop artists in general, I think the hard part about Dr. Dre and giving him like a solid ranking for... I know, I do this a lot. <laughs> I, I try to... I try to get out of like giving a solid ranking on stuff. His impact on whatever project he's working on, he's amazing because he can recognize people Makes that he's going to click amazing. with. Yeah, and he knows who he's going to click with. Yep. I don't think he, you can force him to work with someone. You, so that's my ranking. Yeah, that's a <laughs> bullshit answer. But I still like the answer. I'll be much less pragmatic and... I consider Dr. Dre a producer, and I think that he is on my Mount Rushmore producers. Yeah. Like, I think he's top fucking four. It yeah. is about the art. It's not about him. It's always been like that. He's a fucking brilliant dude, man. I'm glad we got to do an episode on him because I would have had a really hard time having to do one about Pete Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? On my R Mount Rushmore of producers, the two people that I feel are like, fairly opposite of each other but i put them next to each other on this imaginary wall rick rubin and dr mm -hmm. dre because rick rubin has like zero musical talent or audio engineering talent or skill yeah or he, ju he just has a good ear yes and he knows how to get the artist he's working with to produce the best thing that they can like he pulls content out of yes. people to be like a platinum guy to be like that great Mount Rushmore guy, it's the ability to read people and understand when they're stuck, understand what they need to jumpstart the next creative thought. When they spit out a creative thought, like what to do with it, because it might just be a hot mess. And how do you organize yeah. that? He's a machine when it comes to that. He's king shit. Dr. Dre. He's a genius on so many levels. We love him. This has been fun. This is the last Q&I episode this the year, Sven. Just... We've made it. God, I love doing these. That's, yeah. Very, I very... needed this in my day today. Uh, join us next week. I'm interviewing someone who came out with an album last year that is criminally underrated. Just a spectacular art project overall. Everybody should go buy the vinyl now because I'm telling you, just join us next week. It's just such a good project. Versecoursefirst.com at versecoursefirstpod. Sven, yeah. you are now off until fucking November. I'll see you next week, though. You are now off until next week. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> I just remembered a date on the calendar. You're usually the person hey, that has to, like, nag and I've remind me. i too much Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> good, good night and good luck.